from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu. Good evening from the Capitol Building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins, and on the legislature today, our guest, West Virginia Governor Jim Justice. Governor, welcome to the program. Suzanne, thank you so much for having me. You have filed for re-election, not only for yourself, but for the president here in West Virginia today. We appreciate you uh, having time to talk to us. Well, it's a great day. I mean, you know, not very often do you get to file for a president. You know, it's amazing. And a humbling day, you know, from my standpoint, because it's an honor beyond belief to to be your governor, to be running for re-election, to, to do the stuff with President Trump. It's uh, it was a fun day. Well, as we start this legislative session, let's focus on your 2020 legislative agenda. Um, let's begin with the largest, newest initiative of yours in the um, FY 2021 budget. That would be the Medicaid Families First Families First Reserve Fund, putting $150 million away. What is your thinking behind that rainy day type fund? Well, Suzanne, here's the thing. You know, we are projecting a $309 million surplus in Medicaid by the end of the year. It's an incredible amount of money, and, and we are overfunding, overfunding, overfunding. And and so what we, we can do at this point in time is we can set aside some of those monies that won't be touched for anything. They won't be grabbed at and everything, almost like, you know, whomever, you know, running for the cheese and everything. And so, so as we do that, we can accomplish a couple different things. We can be really conservative in our budget projections, but in addition to that, we can put $150 million away to see that the most vulnerable people the people that really need you the most won't ever be forgotten. And that money will be there for them forever. And the other thing it does, Suzanne, is this, just this. The bonding agencies love it. Because now we've put money away for PEIA, we've got money in the rainy day fund, and now we're doing this. And it will just upgrade and upgrade and upgrade our bonds. Well, Governor, we had the vice chair of the House Finance here, the minority chair, right. uh, last night, and, and also the, the Senate majority leader today. All of them expressed wonderment. First of all, why, if we have Medicaid monies, why aren't they being spent for that three-to-one match uh, in, a, in a time when we've all acknowledged that we have a child care crisis? Well... In, in the monies, the remaining monies of Medicaid, we've plugged in IDD waivers, we've plugged in all the foster care stuff and everything. We're taking care of all that in our budget and we're aggressively taking care of it. We didn't want to just move in and start basically pillaring for Medicaid 
until we were sure, till we were really sure that we're on rock solid ground to be able to do what we're doing. We absolutely want to do all the matches and everything else, but there's people within our DHHR and within our revenue departments and everything that have worked tirelessly on this and they tell us this is a very prudent and good move. And so I think at the end of the day, you know, as you bring them and you bring more and more information to the table, you're going to see this is the right move. All right. You know, I have to say, when I, when I saw this, I was wondering if maybe you were putting in, this into place, right. uh, thinking about the possibility of the dismantling of the Affordable Care Act. No, I don't, I don't think. I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, we all had concerns about Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act and everything. It was all kinds of concerns, but, but at the same time, there was good too. And, and so, so this- Your position, may I ask you, your position on, uh, on the suit to try to dismantle the Affordable Care Act? Well, you know, I, I am not a proponent of the Affordable Care Act, that's for sure. You know, and I, and I stand with where our president has been all along. But I think that there is a, that there is a, a way of gleaning out the good and, 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 and getting rid of the bad and making a better system for everybody. We know that 22,000 West Virginians are covered uh, through the Affordable Care Act uh, with, with insurance that they've purchased on the marketplace. We know from your DHHR, 154,000 um, through Medicaid expansion. Right. What plan would you have should that, say, go away this month? What would you do for your fourth year facing, facing that? Well, Suzanne, here's, here's my feelings. You know, first and foremost, and you saw from my state of the state, whether it be taking care of the hungry or the foster care or the IDD, you know, what, what, you know my number one objective always is to try to take care of our people and everything in every way. Now, you've got to grow budgets, you've got to grow earnings, you've got to grow surpluses to be able to do that. What I'm saying to you is, you know, I, I don't profess to be the expert as far as health care. I rely on our DHHR. I rely on our revenue people. I rely on those people to bring me good, sound stuff. But I'm an absolute staunch believer, and you can't walk away from people and let them suffer. You just can't do it. You know, that's why that I'm excited, you know, about pre-existing conditions and, 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 and us making sure that we absolutely take care of everyone that has a pre-existing condition and all the things that are out there that, that are at play if you genuinely do care and you genuinely do have dollars to make sure that it all works. And so at the end of the day, I'm not the expert by any stretch of the imagination. I can't give you that type of expert answer and everything. But I can tell you, we're not about to walk away from our people that are really, that really depend on us. And as you noted, the Affordable Care Act, it, it, it protects against um, uh, the dropping of coverage for pre-existing conditions, sure. but it, it, it has a huge economic impact uh, in West Virginia in terms of um, community health hospitals and just uh, re reimbursement rates, um, a, a, a big fear. Of, of the impact should such a, a large act be struck down? 
Well, the bottom line is you're exactly right, 100% right, about the economic impact of all that, that, that is out there that we could very well be exposed to. From my standpoint, you know, what I would say is just this, is there is no way, there's no way that I'm going to leave people in the dark and let people suffer. There's no possible way. And there's no way we're going to do that. But if there's a better mousetrap and a better way to do something and everything, we absolutely want to look at it. Will there be um, pieces of legislation? You, you mentioned the, the pre-existing legislation that is being offered by both uh, Republicans and, and Democrats. They, they have their own bills. But um, those other components that you say that, you know, we're not going to um, let uh, go unaddressed, will there be further legislation for the kinds of things that the, that the ACA is now um, so instrumental in providing? Well, I would just say just simply just this, that if need be, there will be. That's all there is to it. If need be, there has to be because we have got to take care of our people and we got to do it in a better way than we've been doing. Um, in your uh, state of the state, you noted that we currently have about a 5% unemployment rate. Uh, you said the economy is strong and getting stronger. You did show the, the lightning bolt mm -hmm. instead of um, the rocket ship. But as you know, Governor, there are economic development um, experts in, in West Virginia and outside of West Virginia who, who say those aren't the statistics to look at when you're, when you're trying to paint the picture of, of the economy. Our last in labor force participation, right. our, um, the, the fact and we, we learned through the Hunger Caucus this week that there are 270,000 West Virginians that, that go hungry, that struggle with hunger right. every single day. And so, you know, it, it, it's been said your, your state of the state was just too rosy for where we are in January 2020. Well, I hate that, it's, that, that there are those that may say that. I would say to them, go out and drive and look at the used car lots, look at the Dairy Queen parking lots, look, look at what's going on in West Virginia and, and compare to the day, from, you know, compared to the day that I walked in the door. If you don't think things are rosy, you're just out of your mind. And, and, and so, is there still so many people out there that are hurting that we need to help? Well, absolutely. That's all there is to it. We grew at a pace last year that was unbelievable. And, and we're now, you know, instead of, and what I've said over and over, no growth can go straight up. It has got to pause and everything and build in bases and everything and move from there. I'm the business guy. And I'm telling you, we're using last year's number, numbers and still pacing close to it. Now, we are poised to go again and everything. But as we go, we need to continue. And I've said it and said it and said it. You know, we need to continue to reach back and help all those that we possibly can. For crying out loud, you know, I brought my tackle box and my axe, you know, and, and told the, the example of the lady that was really having a tough go. She needs us. You know, all those people need us, and that's what we got to do. Let me ask you, again, as we start the session, it's just uh, really important uh, to be working closely, working well. Talk about your relationship uh, in, as we start this session with 
uh, lawmakers. As we know, this summer, uh, the Senate president said he could not put his uh, backing, he could not back you for another four years, given what he called a lack of leadership over the last uh, three years. So the Senate finance chair called for your resignation, saying that you're, you're missing in action here at the Capitol. What is that relationship like today? It's good, it's really good. And you know, from time to time, we probably all say things that we would like to take back, you know, but, uh, but it's very good. And, and I would just say this, I would say always, just judge me by my deeds. I mean, for crying out loud, you know, if, if you look back at a hopeless West Virginia that was bankrupt beyond belief, and you look at what we're doing today, and you think, well, the governor's not working all the time, go out and look at my vehicle. My vehicle's got almost 200,000 miles on it. Every mile is spent in West Virginia. I'm absolutely on the job 24-7 every single day. And I don't need, to, I don't need to, to, to look after that in any way or, or defend it. I mean, at the end of the day, we're getting it done. We're getting it done all over the place and everything, and things are lots and lots and lots better. I mean, tourism's exploding. We're helping our vets. We're helping the elderly. We, we made education our centerpiece. We did a 10% pay raise. We put money into PEIA. We're paving every road known to man. I mean, to say, oh, you know, the leadership isn't good. Are you kidding? Are you kidding me? Well, again, you know, the, the fact that they're, they're saying that you need to be here at the Capitol more, that brings us to, you know, this ongoing suit about your residency, right. this ongoing suit. Um, the Constitution governor says that the governor must reside in the, in the seat of power. How do you argue that? Well, I mean, here's, here's the straight skinny, you know. I'm here all the time. I'm taking appointment after appointment after appointment at the mansion and everything. I do, for all technical purposes, reside right here. Maybe I don't sleep here every night, but I use the mansion as a tool for using it to the best benefit of the governor. Now, at the end of the day, you know, I have never run, ran anything in my life that I wasn't hands-on. I'm at the job site. I'm all over the place all the time. And everybody knows it. I'm not off on vacation on a boat or whatever it may be. I'm on the job. And so, so from my standpoint, you know, I, I get it done and I get it done maybe a little differently and everything. I don't party. I don't, I don't hang out and booze it up with everybody coming or going. I just want to get stuff done. So that's what I do. Your number one goal this session? My number one goal is just this, is not get to distracted and take away from the positiveness of where we're going. You know, we have so many incredible opportunities. We're going to do a tourism announcement just in a matter of days. We're going to do a high-tech announcement just in a matter of days. We did a Clorox announcement today. We did a, a, a Ramico announcement, you know, high-tech jobs coming to Charleston just two or three days ago. It is just one thing right after another. We need to help our foster kids and our foster families. We need to get all those that are on the IDD waivers done. We absolutely need to feed our people and help our seniors and help our kids that are at schools all the time. And those are all listed in your 2021 budget. That's exactly right. But we also need to continue to try to create 
additional surpluses and more and more job opportunities. And that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to be here doing. I'm supposed to be here in my eyes creating more and more opportunities for West Virginians and that's what I'm going to do. Governor Jim Justice, thank you so much for uh, being here. Thank you so much for having me. The third annual Aviation Day at the legislature was held today. Randy Yowie reports on growing interest, education, and employment opportunities. With her hands on the flight simulator controls, Kaya Babkirk has dreams of maybe flying high herself one day. The Oak Hill High Junior says the school's aerospace engineering program is pretty cool. Well, this is a really cool program. We do a lot of hands-on work, like group work. We focus on teamwork, and it's just a really rigorous class. West Virginia Aeronautics Commission Director Sean Hill says rigorous means results. He's seeing Oak Hill High's precedent-setting program being replicated all over the Mountain State. This is exciting. It's getting young people. It's getting high school students. We've got some freshmen, juniors, sophomores here. We were actually learning some really intricate details of the aerospace world. An aerospace world that's growing at home with Marshall University's new School of Aviation set to welcome its first students in August of 2021. The school's two programs are set to supply the increasing national demand for aviation maintenance technicians and flight school graduating pilots. The predictions are that we need 83 pilots a day to fill need and to fulfill retirement. We're only producing three pilots a day to meet that demand. So we are coming into a market uh, eager uh, to have new pilots. With accelerated aviation education and a rapidly growing state aerospace industry, West Virginia students like Kaya Babkirk are learning the sky's the limit. I'm Randy Yowie for the Legislature Today. He's from West Virginia and he said, oh, the only thing I know about West Virginia is this little radio show called Mountain Stage. And it was like, oh, it was such a happy little moment. Wherever I travel, wherever I go, uh, people either know I've been on Mountain Stage or if I drop the name of Mountain Stage or say that I've been on there, you can just see them light up. What gives you more bang for the buck in tourism and image than a national show? We're experiencing record growth in our radio audience right now. As little as three years ago, we had just over 150, 160 stations. Here in this year, we're over 210 stations now. So our radio audience has continued to grow. It's smart musical programming, and it just shines this positive light on the state of West Virginia, and it shows uh, what we are capable of. I think people do take a good sense of pride in Mountain Sage because it is based in West Virginia. Help protect and sustain West Virginia public broadcasting with your monthly contribution today. Donate at wvpublic.org. Welcome back to the legislature today. Joining me now, senior reporter Dave Mistich and reporter Emily Allen. Thank you both. Emily, let's start with you. The Supreme Court had its budget proposal presentation today. Tell us about it. Yep, um, so this was actually the first year that the state legislature has, you know, this kind of oversight over the state Supreme Court of Appeals budget. Um, and that is kind of due to a constitutional amendment that West Virginia voters had reported on a couple of years ago, as our, you know, Dave has covered. Um, so what they really stressed in this budget today was that it was fiscally conservative. It's $4 million less than uh, the budget in 2016. And this is the budget that we're talking about is for fiscal year 2021, the proposal. Um, and I think they kind of did that against the context that we learned about some kind of financial controversies uh, within the Supreme Court in 2018, which prompted that amendment. Um, and what you're about to hear here is uh, Chief Justice Tim Armstead talks a little bit about what's different. 
there are about 11 policies that we have either they're brand new policies or they're revisions to policies that existed. And they include such things as, as how purchasing cards are used, uh, how we go about um, uh, computer monitoring the computer use, how we uh, monitor vehicle use, travel expenses, uh, how we purchase things in terms of furnishings, because that was certainly a large area of what, what took place. Mainly, I mean, it's a very similar budget to what uh, you know 2020 has, despite being a little less. They did in 2020 cut 10 million dollars in kind of excess funds they had found over the year in current expenses, things other than salary. They do plan on reinstating that this year for 2021. Otherwise, it's not really that much different. Okay, and Dave, over in the Senate today, there were some remarks about some very big issues, very big bills that are coming out. Right, so they got all the way to remarks by members and Senator Richard Lindsay of Kanawha County, he's a Democrat. Uh, during those remarks, he got up to address protecting healthcare for West Virginians uh, with pre-existing conditions. It's an issue that we've heard a lot about. Uh, there's, of course, a bill uh, backed by the Attorney General, Patrick Morrissey. We should note that he's one of the uh, attorney generals, uh, attorneys general around the, the country that is uh, filing suit against the federal government over the ACA. Um, so there, you've got a Republican bill uh, that's uh, uh, looking to protect these pre, uh, people with pre-existing conditions. Senator Lindsey brought up the Democrats' bill and, you know, uh, tried to argue that there's all these differences between the two. Um, and so we kicked off this conversation about the issue of health care. But it sort of veered off into this conversation about the uh, manufacturing and equipment uh, inventory tax. And we'll give you a rundown of that conversation that followed. And we'll hear now from Senators Baldwin, Randy Smith, Eric Tarr, and Mike Romano. We use that term pre-existing condition a lot. Um, I think that term gets thrown around. And I just want to talk about it from a personal perspective to remind folks that we're talking about people here. Um, we're talking about people with families who are sick, who have tremendously high medical bills, who have anxiety about their future, um, who have uncertainty about what exactly is going to come next for them and their family. And the last thing that those of us who are in that position need is to be used as political footballs. I'm for affordable health care. I'm for fair health care for everybody. I'm a diabetic. Uh, I've got black lungs, so don't tell me about pre-existing. I've got pre-existing, and the only way I can keep insurance is to keep on working because I can't afford because affordable health care. Yeah, it's affordable some, but I can tell you right now it's not affordable for everyone. Everybody in this room is very, very familiar with the volatility of the coal severance tax. If you were to look that thing on a graph, it looks like the beautiful West Virginia mountains. It's up and down, and it's up and down, and it's up and down. You go back the past five years, every county that receives money from the machinery, equipment, and inventory tax on manufacturing, that's what their graph looks like. So if you now go back and look at those counties, I would just think for a second, how many of those counties do you think have income from that tax? How many do you think have a lot of income from that tax? How many jobs do not go into those counties because of this tax? West Virginia's tax on manufacturing, on the jobs that it creates, those collective taxes are around 15.9%. Our friends in Ohio who compete against us, theirs is 5.9%. Our friends in Pennsylvania who compete against us, theirs is 4.2%. 
If we want health care, we've got to have jobs. And the way we get jobs is we come together as a group and we get this Constitution amended. The Tax Foundation says 32 states have some form of business personal property tax. Still, I want to get rid of it. Still, it's a good tax to eliminate, but you can't eliminate it on the backs of the counties and the public school system. We've spent years in here trying to improve the public school system. I'd say we failed in large part, but at least we've improved it somewhat. We can't turn around and say that this is something we need to do to make West Virginia competitive. I, I've been involved in bringing in hundreds, if not thousands of jobs. I've yet to have a business say your tax system's out of whack. Again, it's a good tax to get rid of if you can replace it with something that makes our counties and public school system whole. Obviously, a lot more debate on those two issues as, as we move ahead. Dave, another bill uh, in the Senate was, was introduced today, something that was left over that didn't make it through that big education reform package. That's right. Senate Education Chair Patricia Rucker of Jefferson County, a Republican, obviously, with the GOP controlling both chambers. Uh, she introduced Senate Bill uh, 515, uh, which would allow for education savings accounts. And if everyone remembers correctly, that was part of the initial omnibus last year that sent teachers out on a two-day strike. Um, then they moved on to all these other versions of the omnibus. Uh, it cleared this, the, the ESA bill individually cleared the Senate, but didn't you know, get through the House last year. She says that uh, she doesn't expect her committee to, to immediately run this bill. Uh, I think still trying to take the temperature of the room a little bit, um, but uh, we'll see what happens with that. And, and finally, I mentioned the governor filed today. Other candidates did as well. That's right. So uh, in the race for governor in 2020, uh, Democrats Ron Stallings and Ben Salango. Uh, Stallings, of course, Senate, state senator here. Uh, and uh, Salango, a businessman and county commissioner here in Kanawha County. Uh, Bernie Sanders uh, filed for um, uh, his campaign for president. And uh, President Trump, as you heard, uh, going to be on the ballot thanks to Governor Justice. So. Thank you so much, Dave Mistich, Emily Allen. Tomorrow on the Legislature Today, we'll be joined by guest reporters for an update on several other issues getting attention here at the Capitol, and we'll look ahead to next week as well. I'm Suzanne Higgins for everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.